Good morning, everybody. My name is Jacob Parnell, and I'm the preaching minister here at Tri-Valley. We're going to begin a journey today that I've been really excited about. Um, But before we do that, I want to begin with a song that is designed to prepare ourselves to receive whatever it is God has to offer us this morning. When we look into his word, we're not just trying to memorize it. We're not just trying to get some good life tips, although we may have some healthy things that we learn along the way. Um, We are preparing ourselves for transformation, and if we are followers of Christ, then we need to be ready for whatever, wherever the word takes us. I've got some some sentences that God put on my heart today to share as it relates to this text, and that's what I'm going to do, but I want you guys to be ready to interact with it uh, and kind of go wherever the Spirit might lead you individually and us as the body of Christ. I want you to sing this song with me, if you know it. If you don't know it, you can close your eyes and listen to the sentiments, but let's sing this together. I am mine no more. I am mine no more. I've been bought with blood. I am mine no more. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And he rules my life, Jesus is my Lord. I am mine no more, I am mine no more. I've been bought with blood, I am mine no more. Ready? Do we believe that? Because we're going to have to mean that if we're going to let Ephesians lead us and we're going to listen to what it has to say for us. Just to make sure. One more verse. I am mine no more. I am mine no more. I've been bought with blood. I am mine no more. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how the book of Ephesians begins. Ephesians is a letter written by Paul and delivered to Christians in the earliest years of the church. Since Ephesians is a letter, you could think about the passage that I read, this passage that's up here on the screen, is kind of the outside of the envelope. This is who it's to, who it's from. We can tell a lot about what's going on just by looking at the outside of the envelope. If you get a piece of mail that comes to your house, same thing is true. You can tell a lot about this letter just by the way it looks, without even opening it up. You can tell, oh, this is a card. Somebody probably handwritten card sent to me. You can tell if it's an advertisement. You can tell if it has coupons inside of it. Uh, There might even be clues on the outside of the letter as to what the content of the inside of the letter will be. The outside of the envelope might say, return service requested, which means you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to send something back. It might say, Fragile, do not bend, 
which tells you that what's inside. Photos, pictures of your grandkids. Um, it might also have a little plastic window in the corner, which tells you that it's a bill. You just go ahead and throw that away and <laughs> don't worry about it. The same is true about the envelope of the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians. You can tell a lot about what's coming just from these first two verses. Paul identifies himself. This is who the letter is from. He identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Notice he doesn't say, I'm Paul, the tent maker, or this letter is from Paul, the teacher, or Paul, that guy that makes those delicious muffins you might have heard about, but Paul, the apostle. Paul, one who is sent by the Lord to proclaim the kingdom of God. Paul very intentionally and very boldly attaches himself to Christ and finds his identity centered in Christ Jesus, the risen Messiah. This is from Paul. He's an apostle of Christ. He's a Christian. If somebody intercepted this letter, they might have said, oh, we don't know anything about Paul, but now we know that he's one of those. He's one of those Christians, one of those troublemakers that we need to keep our eye on. Uh, it's kind of an interesting twist if you know the story of Paul's life, where he came from and where he's going. One who persecuted the church, one who was very, very against the gospel of Jesus Christ, but turned his life around, and now he's very, very for Jesus. He's become an apostle. But the letter is not intended for uh, Romans to intercept. It's not addressed to Jewish anti-Christians from the first century or people who don't understand the nuances of this strange and yet quickly spreading new movement. It's addressed to God's holy people. It's addressed to the saints, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Actually, the earliest manuscripts that we have of the letter to the Ephesians actually doesn't contain the phrase to the saints in Ephesus. The in Ephesus part, they think, may have been added later. So it could be Paul just writing to God's holy people. And in a way, he's essentially saying, to whom it may concern, anybody who hears this gospel. And so the letter becomes Christianity for all Christians. And maybe that's the reason that we like it so much. I told people we were going to be journeying through Ephesians this fall, and a lot of you responded like, oh, good, because I already like Ephesians. Ephesians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I've studied it. I know it. I'm familiar with it. It's great. And I agree. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Maybe this universal nature, this, it's, it's not specifically addressed to a church in Corinth going through specific Corinth problems. It's not addressed to the, the church in Galatia where he knows people, he knows what's going on, and maybe there's some corrections that need to be made. This is written to anybody who's interested in the gospel, which includes us. And that's exciting. It's one of the reasons it's become so popular. It's one of the reasons for us it's become so quotable. The first three chapters of Ephesians is Paul just celebrating what God has done in Jesus Christ. Just run-on sentence after run-on sentence. He can't stop and take a breath about how excited he is about Christ. And we get some of these memorable and famous quotable passages like, it's by grace you have been saved through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. He tells us that we are God's handiwork, God's craftsmanship. You could say God's masterpiece designed to do good works. We get at the end of chapter 3 this description of the love of God, and he says, I hope that you can know someday how wide and how long and how high and how deep 
is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It ends this, this celebrative, uh, praising God section with, To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in Christ and to the church through all generations, forever and ever. And it just makes you want to get up and say, Yes! Yes! That is good news. And then the second half of Ephesians is great because it's very practical. Once you've understood that, this is what you can do about it. This is what living a Christian life in Christian community looks like. And he gives us some of these gems like, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Make every effort to maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Equip the people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. Some practical advice that we may, not, we may need to hear, like don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Mm. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Be filled with the Spirit. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And then it ends with this very memorable, very teachable in a VBS description, putting on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand for Christ. If you're not excited yet, uh, I don't know what's going to get you going, but uh, I think that we are going to be well-fed spiritually if we listen and obey the words that are in this envelope to God's holy people, to anyone who is willing to listen, anyone who cares about Christ. Maybe to anybody who has ever sung, I am mine no more. I've been bought with blood. Jesus is my Lord, and he rules my life. This letter's for us. I'd love to dive into all that great stuff that I just referenced today, but for this morning, we are just going to hang out in the envelope. We're just going to live in the first two of these verses, because even before you get very far into the letter, there's a powerful and challenging message that Paul will continue to reiterate throughout all of Ephesians, and that's what comes in verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may think, how can you preach about that? Grace and peace, that's a, that's a very Bible-y thing. That's a, that's a Bible term. You read that and you go, okay, what next? Like, where's the, where's the meat for the meal? We may think, we've heard Paul say grace and peace before. This is just how he starts his, his letters. This is what he says. It's like picking up the phone and saying, hello, or saying, how's it going? Or however it is you answer your phone, that's the greeting. But there may be more going on here than we realize. In the first century world, a greeting for a letter the one that was commonly used by Roman people was a Greek word, kyrene, which just means, I mean, translate it, greetings. It's, got, it's, a, it's a verb, it means to rejoice. But in a letter, you would start with kyrene. And you say, okay, that's pretty cool. Paul takes the common greeting, kyrene, and he tweaks it a little bit. Instead, he adds the, the, Greek, uh, the word grace, which in Greek is charis. So instead of kyrene to you all, this letter starts out, charis, to you all. And that would have pricked the ears of first century readers. People who would have heard this letter read out loud. Oh, it's not kyrene. That's what I was expecting. But instead, he said, charis, grace. This key concept about being found in Christ and what Jesus has done for us. And then after it, after the grace part, he adds erene, which is the Greek word for peace. Grace and peace. And peace, if you recall, is a very key concept in the Jewish world. Jewish word for peace is what? Shalom. You know this. So charis, grace, something that would have caught the attention of the Gentile audience. And then 
Irene, peace or shalom, which would have caught the attention of the Jewish audience. Grace and peace to you. Both of these things extending that comes from God in the name of Jesus Christ. These two things, Gentiles and Jews, they weren't, they weren't good buddies back then. And in the beginning of the church, this was a major problem. How are people who grew up Gentile, how are people who grew up Jewish, how are they going to be the church? There's different standards. There's different expectations. We were, we were separated. But now, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, these two unlike things are coming together. This is, this is something that's new. And this is how Paul begins his letter. It's also how Paul closes the letter. It's the first thing he says in Ephesians, and it's the last thing that he says in Ephesians. So this concept of grace and peace, the two unlike things coming together, Jews and Gentiles fellowshipping under Christ, is what he bookends this letter with. And then all throughout, he reiterates, and revisits these themes about grace and peace. This is not just a, a throwaway thing that Paul says. This is an intentional move that we should pay attention to. In these short opening verses, Paul previews what's going to be a main theme throughout Ephesians, and that is unity in Christ. How to live as Christians together in a community in a way that glorifies God, benefits one another, and is worthy of the calling of Christ. Now, does that sound like something that you're interested in? Does that sound like something that our world needs? That sound like something that our church needs? I think so, too. I'm excited about this concept. The series through Ephesians, I've decided to call it We Go Together. This is Paul's recurring reminder, and it's also a persuasive argument that he makes throughout. Brothers and sisters, we go together. We go together. He doesn't use those words exactly, but that's my interpretation of it. We are going to study this together as a church, and this is going to be our reminder. Now, this phrase is kind of cool because it's versatile. You can take it in a couple different ways. You could say, we go together with emphasis on the word go. Why don't you guys try saying that? We go together with emphasis on go. We go together. What that means is we, we go together. These, these two things go together. Jews and Gentiles, insiders, outsiders, Christians, non-Christians, men, women, rich people, poor people, people that smell good, people that smell a little better. Uh, they go together. This is something that Paul is pointing out. He's bringing together two unlike things, and that's a great understanding of what the church is and what the church does. Two oddities from my life, from Jacob Parnell growing up in the Parnell household that most people aren't excited about, but this was a big deal in my house, were these two snack items that we would have, sometimes on a Saturday night, sometimes it would be a special treat that we would enjoy together. One of them was a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. It's actually really good. Sounds weird, but it's delicious. And the other thing is uh, Diet Pepsi and milk. We used to pour the two together. Somebody say yes? Good. All right. It's not just us. Uh, if you want the recipe for Diet Pepsi and milk, it's Diet Pepsi and... I think I wrote it down here. Yes, milk. <laughs> Diet Pepsi and milk. It's really easy. Um, but this was a big deal. It was like, ooh, let's have this special treat. We'd mix up the Diet Pepsi milk and drink it, make the peanut butter and pickle sandwich. Some of you guys are about ready to walk out. <laughs> You're thinking, no, those two things can't possibly go well together. But trust me, I ate them. I drank them. They are delicious. This is the kind of the argument that Paul is making here. Because he said Jews and Gentiles. He said grace and peace, and people went, no, 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 no. That's gross. That can't possibly work 
together. And Paul's going, you guys, trust me. This is what the church is supposed to look like. In the church of Christ, these two things that seem at odds with each other actually make something wonderful. They go together. That's something we're going to be reminded of a lot, is that we as the church, though we are different, we go together. And the verse that Chris read for us was from Ephesians chapter 2, a little earlier in our worship service. He says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together, rises to become the holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. We go together, even when it seems like we shouldn't, or when it seems like we can't coexist. We go together. Another way of taking this phrase is with emphasis on the word, we go together. The last word, try that. Together, this is emphasizing the fact that the journey of faith is a corporate effort and not an individual undertaking. Justin preached about this a little bit last week, you remember? When he reminded us that a lot of the times, somebody counted, and I think it's 87% of the time that Paul in his letters uses the word you, when we translate it as you, he's actually meaning y'all, right? <laughs> this is plural. You can sit and read the Bible by yourself and think Paul's saying, you, you, Jacob, 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 but majority of the time he's saying, you, you Christians who are journeying together, you, a collective group of people. This is a team sport. The mentality of getting something out of church is a selfish concept. Sometimes you'll hear people say, I didn't get anything out of that. The question that I always immediately jump to is, what did you put in? And you could even say, I put in a lot, but I still didn't get anything out of it. But it's, it's about community. It's not just about what you get. It's about giving both to God and to one another. It's not just about succeeding. It's not just about enjoying yourself. It's about the challenges that we get from being different and yet still going together. And I really think that if we're going to grow in Christ and if we are going to grow as a church, we need to embrace this together aspect. We go Together, not alone, that's only going to lead to frustration and stagnation, but we go together as a group. It is assumed throughout Ephesians that the church is diverse and that the church is a community. There's no one-person church. And Paul doesn't write this letter to one person. He writes it to the collective. So we can ask ourselves here at Tri-Valley, how are we measuring up to that expectation? Are we diverse and are we together? There's different ways that you can answer that. You might look around and say like, yeah, we're not, we're kind of diverse. There's some age diversity, kind of. There's, you know, demographic diversity, mm, maybe not as much as in other places. As I'm thinking about this concept, and as I've spent 10 years with this congregation, I know that there's a big diversity of personalities. There's big diversity when it comes to opinions about things. Diversity in political views. Do we have uh, diverse, diversity in what people think we ought to do as a congregation? We went through a journey this summer where we realized that people read the same Bible and come out with different interpretations about things like how women should be involved in the worship service. We come to different conclusions on these matters. We've got people that you love spending time with, and we've got people that you avoid because they're different 
from you. We've got differences in opinion on what time we should start our worship service, what we should do when we're here. And some people can look at this diversity in the church, look around and go like, ah, I don't know, I feel kind of out of my own, or I don't want to interact with these people because I can't be myself and I feel we're just so different. We can get discouraged and say, I'm not going to be part of the body anymore. I'm going to start to withdraw and do less with these people that I don't share a lot of worldviews with. But I would like to suggest that if you look around, if you interact with people and you realize that there's a diversity of opinion, or not everybody's on the same page with the things that we like and the things that we'd rather do, that means we're ready to be the church. If diversity is expected, and Paul's saying like different, different, but we go together, trust me, this was Jesus' plan, then we're at an exciting point. We are ready to be the church, a place where diversity is celebrated. The fact that a group of people can be so different when it comes to backgrounds, experiences, and opinions, and yet still love each other and share life together because they're so tightly centered around Jesus Christ and not around our preferences and opinions, that's God's big, ta-da! Look what I did! Look at how the gospel is changing people. Look at how this world can be. That is God's peanut butter and pickle sandwich. And when you eat it, you go, wow, this really is amazing. I didn't think it could be, but it is. Trust me, a lot of you are going to go home and try it. You can call me and say, Jacob, you were right. And I accept that. It's grace and peace, and it doesn't come from ourselves. We can't make it. It comes from God. It's his intention, his, his expectation. All we can do is lean into it. This past Monday, I got to sit in on a group meeting here at Tri-Valley. The Benevolence Ministry, a lot of you know, gives away clothes and household items every Monday from 10 to noon right here at our building. There was some diversity of opinion about what should happen with the Benevolence Ministry, whether it should continue, how it should continue, what it should do the same, what it should do differently. Some people were tired and looking for support. And I got to sit and listen to a group of people become reconnected and reunified around the simple fact that we all love Jesus. We all think that the church should be involved in the community. We all want to help families that are in need. They all had that same thing. They were tightly connected and centered around Jesus Christ. And the diversity of opinion kind of got worked out. People spoke their minds. People listened. People came up with some new ideas. There was an awesome opportunity for us to hear from some people from the outside about how this ministry is blessing the community. A lot of things that we didn't even know. We're like, we're just showing up and sorting clothes, and it makes us tired. And these people were going like, keep doing what you're doing. So many homeless people are being blessed. So many low-income families are being helped because of your efforts on these Mondays. And we left there going like, oh, good. It felt awesome to be the church on Monday. I was really proud of this group, and really awesome to just get to witness how this works. This we-go-together concept really actually makes sense if you trust it. One thing we need to keep in mind as we read through and study through Ephesians is that Paul did not write this letter to a group of people who had a church building. They did not have a paid staff. They did not have a parking lot. When we hear the church and we talk about what does the church look like, we need to remember that they were very different from us in a lot of ways. Paul wrote to small groups of people who met in homes. People who ate together, people who sometimes showed up late to meals and spilled on each other's carpets, people who had to put up with each other in some cases. 
People who not only worshipped and fellowshiped together, but people who then had to go and, and work in the same place because they were part of the church. They were reaching their friends and neighbors. You had to live next door to somebody. And that could be frustrating to us. In the modern church, a lot of people like to put distance between the people that they work with and the people who are in their daily social circles. But that's not how the church started. Paul wrote to a group of people who were doing life together, who were becoming the church in a daily way, who were sharing the gospel with the people that they interacted with, uh, and not just on Sundays. And as it turns out, for us, the church today, we go together. This is emphasis now on the we. Say it with the emphasis on the first word. We. Who are you talking about? Who is we? Say it again. We. Who's we? Turn and look at the people around you and say it. Yes. These people. The person that's behind you, the person that's in front of you, the person you have to turn your neck a little bit to acknowledge and appreciate and interact with. We go together. We are this church. We are this branch of the church of Christ. We are a specific group of believers right here, and I think that we ought to be sharing more than just a row together on a Sunday morning. We should be sharing life with each other. Ephesians is going to help us be a faithful church. It's going to be our guide this fall, but it's not just going to be on Sunday mornings. I really hope the only, that Sunday morning is not the only time that you read or hear Ephesians. And as a church leader, I want to do some things to help facilitate this, to help make this happen, for us to live into what Paul is actually talking about here and not just our minimal version of it. So in addition to me preaching through Ephesians on Sunday mornings, we are going to provide opportunities for you to interact with God's Word and to be the church with one another throughout the week, uh, in addition to the existing ones that are already going on. If you don't know that you can come to this building on Wednesday evenings and participate in a Bible study that's over in Room 7, you can. If you don't know that you can be part of a Thursday evening spiritual formation workshop where people are praying for one another, digging into Scripture every Thursday at 6.30, you can. If you didn't know that Benevolence is not an invite-only group, it's an, if you're available on Mondays and you want to come fold clothes, interact with families from the community, pray together, write encouragement cards, you can. Those things are happening. There's some things that maybe we used to do as a church or maybe some habits that we've fallen out of that we want to reinstate. Uh, I want to share just a few of those with you this morning. I'm excited about these. One of them is discipleship groups. Uh, we are... Maybe there's an, uh, at the breakfast, you might have gotten an orange piece of paper that says, hey, we want to start some home groups. We want to gather some Christians together that are committed to meeting once a week in each other's homes uh, for fellowship, for prayer, for digging into the apostles' teaching. It sounds like Acts 2.42. That's what they were doing. It's really simple. We can do that as well. Uh, the orange pieces of papers are surveys to see who is interested. Who is interested in doing this? If you didn't get one at the breakfast, there's some in the back of the room here. There's some in the foyer on your way out. There's like three different stacks that if you don't take one, you're going to have to pass by and ignore on your way out. But I hope that you take one because we as leaders of this church want to know who's in. Who's like, yes, I want to be the church like the one Paul writes to. I want to be connected. I want to go together with my church family. Uh, and small groups or home groups is one of those ways that we want to do that. So let us know who's interested because if 
we have a bunch of people who are like, I'm way too busy, or I, I can't do that, uh, then it may not happen in the way it would if we get a lot more people who are like, you know what, I need to find those Christians that live near me that I can pray with, that I can study scripture with, that I can listen to and share what's going on in my life and have some accountability. These are some of the purposes of discipleship groups. It's not just putting the Bible into our brains. It's about letting it transform our lives by interacting with it and with one another. I've been a part of groups like this in the past. They're tremendous. They're, they really help me grow spiritually. Uh, but at Tri-Valley, there has not been as much organization for doing that, and a lot of that is on me. But I look back and go, man, these things are powerful. This is a really great vehicle for getting Christians together and learning what it really means to be the church. So I want you to prayerfully consider being a part of one of these groups this fall, and we'll continue them on in the spring and the wintertime. I mentioned prayer. Lately, last, Justin preached a series this summer where he encouraged you not just to hear the word preached on Sunday mornings, but to spend time reading the scriptures and then writing a response prayer where you spend time in the scripture and then you write back to God some of the same sentiments and using some of the same words of the scriptures that we've studied and that we've listened to together. And we're going to continue that on this fall, all throughout Ephesians. Each Sunday, I'm going to preach from a section of Ephesians, but then when I'm done preaching, I want you to take that, that section of scripture and I want you to read it every day. And I'd, I'd love for you to write down a prayer, maybe two paragraphs or a page or two pages, whatever comes to you, but respond to God using some of the sentiments that are expressed uh, in those passages. This morning, as we hear the envelope of Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, you might just meditate on that concept. What does it mean to be an apostle, to be sent out on a mission for Jesus? What does it mean by the will of God that Paul was chosen? What does it mean that you became a Christian? What does it mean that you've been chosen? Interact with some of those ideas. Write a prayer back to God, praising him, uh, thanking him. This is an important process. In your discipleship groups, you'll have an opportunity to share those prayers, which is a great way for you to grow in your faith, in your prayer vocabulary, in your interaction with scripture. And as you hear other people share their prayers, you get to hear their hearts. You get to hear where they're at with the Lord. It's a tremendous opportunity for growth. There's going to be continued fellowship times, things that we're going to add to the calendar. Uh, I've got a men's retreat planned, which if you're excited, you're a man, yeah, you get to come. If you're a woman, you're not invited. Uh, but we're going to get out of town for a weekend, and we're just going to bro out, out uh, in the woods, and we're going to have a time where we can grow and pray together. So that men's retreat is coming up. I'll tell you more about that in the future. We're going to have more times like this morning where we're breaking bread and sharing a meal together with one another. We're going to be spending some quality time together as a family, as a church. And I'm excited for this. I hope that you will be involved. Uh, please fill out those orange surveys. Get them back to me. I'm also going to send you an email with the digital version that you can text back to me or just respond through the email, but we want to know who's interested so we can start putting these groups together. And if you have any more questions about them, you can talk to me about that. But this fall and this year, as we journey through Ephesians, I, I just want to encourage you, invite you to, let's be the church that Paul cast this vision for. Let's be the church that Jesus Christ died for, the church that God reveals his manifold wisdom through. I feel like I'm ready. I'm ready to receive that grace and peace. I hope you're excited ready about that too. Praise team, why don't you guys come back up here and prepare to lead us in our closing song. While they're making their way up here, um, I just want to say, if you're not a part of this church, 
you're, you're, you're a part. You've been here once, boom, you're in. But we want you to know that we're about Jesus. There's a lot of things that happen in this church, but at the center is Jesus Christ. The fact that he died for us, we've been saved because of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised on the third day. That's something that we celebrate. That's something that we hold tightly to. And if you don't know that story, if you, don't, if you haven't believed in Jesus, if you haven't accepted Christ as the Lord of your life, like we sing, Jesus is my Lord, uh, come and talk to me about that because it's an awesome thing. It's a fantastic path to be on, uh, and that's what we're about here. So come and talk to me. If you haven't made that commitment to following Jesus, uh, if you have any more questions about anything I've talked about, I'm available. But let's stand and worship the Lord together.